The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sport Blocks. Here are your headlines today. U.S. stocks look set to start September in the red after posting their worst monthly performance in seven years. While Treasury yields rise as Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester strikes another hawkish tone on rate hikes. It would be a mistake to declare victory over the inflation beast too soon. Doing so would put us back in the stop-and-go monetary policy world of the 1970s, which was very costly to households and businesses. Chinese factory activity contracts for the first time in three months in August, with fresh COVID lockdowns hampering output, while growth concerns weigh on crude prices, which post their worst losing streak since April 2020. The U.S. restricts shipments of NVIDIA and AMD's chips to China as the battle between Washington and Beijing over high-end computing heats up, sending shares in both groups sharply lower. And the pound posts its biggest monthly fall since Brexit, while gilt yields surge as conservative leader candidates Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak make their final push in the race to become the UK's next prime minister. Juliana, thank you for joining us. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here bright and early with you. Yeah, stepping in. <laughs> Steve's on location this week, uh, heading off to Italy. So uh, another big show as we take a look at these markets uh, coming into September. And we keep hearing about a cautious tone from big U.S. corporates. And suddenly some, some of the data now just pointing to that. Uh, the U.S. companies have added the fewest jobs in August since the start of 2021. That is according to the latest ADP data. Now, business payrolls rose by 132,000. That was down more than half compared to July, signalling a potential cooling off in what has been a red-hot job market as rising interest rates and high inflation weigh on businesses. Speaking to business leaders, the Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester said she expects the Federal Reserve to continue hiking rates beyond the 4% mark and ruled out a cut next year. But she insisted a repeat of the stop-and-go policy of the 1970s would be more detrimental to families and businesses. My current view is that it will be necessary to move the Fed funds rate up to somewhat above 4% by early next year and hold it there. I do not anticipate the Fed cutting the Fed funds rate target next year. It would be a mistake to declare victory over the inflation beast too soon. Doing so would put us back in the stop-and-go monetary policy world of the 1970s, which was very costly to households and businesses. Today marks the first day of trade for the month of September. As for the month of August, it turned into really a tale of two halves, ending the month on a downbeat note. Yesterday, all three of the majors lost ground. The Dow Jones pulled back about 280 points. The S&P 500 about 0.8%. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq also extended losses. For the month, the major indices are lower. But worth noting, we are still well above the June lows. The peak for the summer rally, it was about two weeks ago. For the month, the Dow off 4%, S&P off 4.1%, and that tech-heavy Nasdaq bearing the brunt of the selling in August off 4.5%. 
As for currencies, we've also seen a lot of dollar strength in the month of August. The dollar index rising about 2.6%, its seventh positive month in the last eight. In the most recent trade, we've got sterling now below 116. Sterling is down 0.4% this morning versus the greenback. For the month of August, sterling dropped 4%, its worst month, as we mentioned in the headlines, since the Brexit referendum. Euro also trading weaker versus the greenback, down about four tenths of a percent, about five tenths of a percent, but above the parity level. We also had a lot of movement in the dollar yen trade. Right now we're trading around 139. The dollar yen has hit a 24 year low. Turning to the Treasury market, we have, of course, seen Treasury yields rise over the course of the month. The two-year note out at the front end of the curve currently trading around 3.5%, moving slightly higher on the session. In the month of August, we saw that two-year yield hit the highest level since 2007. And then further out toward the longer end of the curve, we've got the 10-year trading around 3.2%, so that inversion very much still front and center in treasuries. Uh, turning to Asia, the overnight trade, uh, this is the picture for the Asian markets. It's a bit mixed. We've got a bit of green on the board for the Shanghai Composite, up about a quarter of a percent. We've got a little bit more data overnight, or survey data, shall I say, the uh, Kaishin Manufacturing PMI in China. Uh, that data coming through, sliding into contraction territory in the month of August. Outside of the mainland, we've got the Hong Kong market trading lower to the tune of 1.75%, and similar for the Nikkei 225 in Japan. Pan were down about 1.6% on the session, Karen. Julianne, let's just come back to those comments from the Fed. Uh, Loretta Mester has acknowledged that monetary tightening and the fight against inflation is raising the chances of recession around the world and highlighted Europe as particularly at risk. I do acknowledge that the risk of recession over the next year or two have moved up because financial conditions are tightening globally. Inflation remains at high levels in many countries, and the devastating war in Ukraine adds considerable uncertainty and downside risks to the growth outlook, especially in Europe. Europe's bond market is coming off one of its worst months on record as markets increasingly price in aggressive hikes from the ECB and Bank of England. August saw 10-year bond yields rise at their fastest pace since 1990, with UK gilts and Italian BTP yield also rising sharply. The sell-off in sovereigns accelerated off the back of the Eurozone inflation data, which came in at 9.1% in August, a signal that price pressures are becoming more embedded throughout the economy. Let's get to Guy Steer, Head of Fixed Income at SockGen. Guy, I was just revisiting one of your notes from a couple of weeks back where you thought uh, that uh, credit market uh, rally in July was perhaps a false signal and telling investors to reset positions. Just give us a sense of how you think the last couple of weeks have played out. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's been quite gloomy. And what has happened is that there was this uh, this bear market rally uh, in July, largely because people didn't want to be short carry over the summer. Um, from the middle of August, they've come back in and they've said, what's the underlying trend? It's bad. And so they've reset short positions. And so I think it has worked out seasonally pretty much similar to the last two bear markets in the summer. And from my view, uh, September, October, you've been talking about how bad August was for risky assets. I think September, October, November, these will be bad months as well. 
Guy, if we just take a look at the ECB implications here, we've had a red hot number on inflation showing that we're not past the peak levels when it comes to those pricing pressures here in Europe. We've had hawkish commentary from most of the ECB, except a little bit of pushback from Philip Lane talking about changing the pathway, chopping up the pathway and moving in increments, not these large jumbo sized moves. Just give us your view on where we go on policy from here, and what the implications are for those yields. Well, I think rates uh, absolutely have to go higher, and I don't think that the front end of the curve is anticipating uh, the rate hikes that we're going to get, particularly if you look in the 2-3 area of the curve, we're definitely too low in terms of the rate hike expectations. But one of the things that uh, you, you quoted Loretta Meister earlier on, she's absolutely right in saying Europe is in a more difficult place than the US. We have much higher energy costs. Uh, we have a much weaker currency. We're importing inflation much more. More has to be done on the rate side, but that also means we're going to have weaker growth. So that's a very difficult combination for uh, the central bankers to deal with. I think they are going to have to hike interest rates aggressively, but then there's going to be uh, a, a, a better performance probably further down the curve with more steepening further down the curve because the growth outlook in five, six years areas out in, in Europe is a lot worse. Guy, speaking of that difference in uh, outlook, economic outlook for the Europe versus the U.S., do you think that it's fully appreciated by fixed income investors in Europe just how much Europe is, is poised potentially to underperform economically in the months ahead? Well, I think the market which has done the best job in, 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 in reflecting the weakness of Europe is definitely the currency market. You talked about the strength of the dollar. We're almost at 20-year highs in terms of dollar euro. We're not there yet. We're probably going to be getting there, moving in that direction, because the growth outlook between the U.S. and the policy outlook in, Euro in the U.S., which is pretty clear, and the policy outlook in Europe, which is still somewhat murky, and the growth outlook, which is worse, that's already somewhat reflected in the currency markets, but not fully. So it's going to continue in that direction. In terms of the bond markets, I think maybe you're going to see a bigger difference in terms of spreads at the back end of the curve. But in the two to three year areas, I think uh, the, the rate hike pace in the two is going to be looking very similar. Guy, can I ask you about sterling? This morning, we're down about half a percent versus the dollar. And for the month of August, sterling dropped 4% versus the greenback. It's worst monthly performance since Brexit. We're now below the 116 level. What is the next resistance level for GBP? That's a good question. I mean, the, I think the, um, it's, in terms of the charts relative to, to thinking about the, uh, the, the policy implications, it's super difficult because what looks is like it's going to happen in terms of uh, the UK is we're going to have more expansionary fiscal policy. That would imply normally a rather better tone in terms of, in terms of the pound, more expansionary fiscal policy, more contractionary monetary policy that should help sterling. Uh, but the terms of trade are still really, really difficult. I mean, you're still seeing uh, lots of problems in terms of the pound and you're still seeing general capital moving out of the UK. So I think that the near-term outlook is still for the weakness, unfortunately, for sterling and possibly against the euro, not just against the dollar. 
Guy, I want to switch your focus to Italy as we count down to an election later on this month. Uh, the uh, view is that we've got a lot of short bets already placed. The messaging from the right-wing uh, pop uh, populist politicians is perhaps even some pushback on those re recovery funds that have already been agreed with the EU and not exactly the right messages for bond markets. So what do you anticipate for the month of September when it comes to trading Italy? Well, I, I'm, I'm sounding a bit like a broken record here, so being being uh, quite gloomy about almost everything. But I think in terms of uh, BTP bond spreads, those can go wider too. One of the strongest correlations in uh, fixed income markets is between uh, corporate bond spreads and uh, BTP bond spreads. And I'm gloomy on corporate bond spreads. I think they're going to continue to go wider. And I think that's going to be one additional factor in addition to the politics you were talking about uh, and the more fund of flows arguments to be driving BTP spreads wider versus the bond. Guy, can I come back to the Fed and the market reaction that we've seen over the last two weeks? The summer rally, when you look at equity markets, peaked about two weeks ago. And uh, Jerome Powell's remarks at Jackson Hole um, get a lot of attention for being one of the key drivers of the selling that we've seen. I wonder to what extent what he said was actually new and whether he and the other Fed officials could, you know, if they have any other choice but to dampen expectations of um, rate cuts or more lenient monetary policy next year. Ultimately, they had no choice. And I wonder why these hawkish comments have driven such a reaction among investors. Well, I think there's two things. I think, first of all, from a more fundamental standpoint, what they have been surprised by, and I think a little bit um, discouraged by, is the fact that the curves, the, the front end of the bond markets, have anticipated a fairly early peak in yields uh, in, in, uh, in policy and then a drop because of concerns about uh, the growth outlook. And if you go back to the history of the 1980s, what we had to do is we had to have uh, real interest rates being positive for a significant amount of time to drive out inflation expectations. So even if you think about the 4% rates that Loretta Meister was talking about, given that the inflation expectations, the consensus inflation expectations in the US next year is 3.7%, 4% doesn't seem like extraordinarily high rates. And to go below that uh, seems, um, uh, seems far too optimistic in terms, of, uh, in terms of the bond markets. And I think that's one of the things that they've been discouraged about. And that's particularly what their comments were focusing on. Was it predictable that they would say that? Probably. But the thing is that the markets have a certain rhythm, uh, have a certain rhythm. We have the summer rally because people didn't want to be short over the summer. Once the summer came to an end, and typically the middle of August, as you say, that the high point for risk assets was the middle of August a couple of weeks ago. That signals the end of the summer and people looking ahead to what's happening next. And then we started to see people reversing that summer rally. So almost whatever the Fed might have said could have been taken more bearishly. Guy, we appreciate the comments this morning. Thank you for joining us so early on the show. Guy Steer, Thank head of fixed again. income at Sockchen. Crude prices have posted their first three-month losing streak since April 2020 as a combination of weakening global demand and higher monetary policy spark recession fears. Both Brent and WTI are sharply down from their March highs of $120 per barrel. Saudi Arabia recently said it could favour cutting output in a bid to boost prices. I think perhaps that is the next big one for the trade on these markets as we count down to that producers meeting.
Now, Chinese authorities have placed fresh COVID curbs on millions of people across the country, with officials continuing to implement a zero-tolerance approach amid rising cases. Mass testing will take place in the southwestern city of Chengdu from today to Sunday. Shenzhen has already shut down indoor entertainment and large events, while Guangzhou has also ordered one district to shut restaurants and indoor venues. Factory activity in China contracted for the first time in three months in August, according to a private sector survey. The Kaishin manufacturing PMI came in at 49.5, with production hampered by the ongoing COVID restrictions, as well as power shortages. Coming up on the program, U.S. officials tell NVIDIA and AMD to stop selling AI chips to China. We'll have more on that story after this break. And for more on where stocks are headed in September, as well as the latest U.S. jobs data out tomorrow, don't forget you can check out the Squawk podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Shares in NVIDIA and AMD sank in extended trade after the chipmakers revealed that U.S. officials had told them to halt exports of certain AI chips to China. NVIDIA said the move could impact $400 million worth of sales in China. An SEC filing outlined the rationale for the request, saying it would reduce the risk of these products being used by the Chinese military. Well, Karen, this is not the first time that we have seen action like this. The U.S. government has applied export restrictions to ships made uh, with U.S. technology before. But um, given all the tensions around uh, Taiwan this summer, it feels like this does mark an escalation in that fractured relationship between Beijing and Washington. There's a lot going on behind the scenes for the sector. And I think this is just the beginning. And uh, we're talking about a huge amount of sales that could be disrupted going to China. We're not sure whether some of the licenses will be rejected if they are sought, for instance, or whether they will go through. But it does create uh, somewhat of a roadblock. And if you think about the larger picture here, the bulk of chips are manufactured in Asia. And that's a problem for the United States. It's seeking to change that. It's uh, been pushing for more chips, more factories, more foundries to be conducted in the United States to be created there. And if you look at the uh, plans for some of those uh, manufacturing facilities. They are very expensive. And there's a view that there may have to be government support to ensure those facilities are built. But that government support would be tied to some sort of a pledge not to be expanding operations in China. So you can see all the links here that the US is trying to pull the levers, trying to ensure that they create a, a big backdrop where the US is a key manufacturer down the line, not Asia. 
um, that a lot of the, the key uh, licensing, the key technology is based in the United States and they have the ability then to control the sale of those goods to China. I think the idea here is to stop the technical uh, prowess, the advancement of China, or at least slow it down. And uh, this is a grand master plan by Biden. We saw that CHIPS Act that was signed back in August. Uh, this is just a continuation of that narrative. And similar, we're, we're seeing similar um, action taken in Europe, big push to also ramp up Europe's own chip manufacturing uh, capacity. At the same time, this story broke, uh, you know, researching this this morning, came across the, the fresh lines from the Taiwan president that um, she looks forward to producing so-called democracy chips with the U.S., Taiwan trying to show the United States that it can be a reliable partner when it comes to uh, the global chip crunch. And again, just highlighting the fact that Taiwan is such a crucial player in the chip market and, and how that factors into these relations between um, mainland China and the U.S. Somewhat inflammatory language, but let's call a spade a spade because that's what we're seeing now. We've got a weaponized industry and Biden has gone down that pathway. I think what happens next will be fascinating for the sector, though. Don't forget we've been talking about an undersupply for so many months now and the impact on production for various different sectors. Of course, the big one that jumps out is the auto sector and the inability to get the right amount of chips where they need to go to continue production. So at this point where we're getting to the stage where we're trying to correct some of those shortages, will this exacerbate some of the short-term problems if we start to see roadblocks going into force? Will it cause more problems in the sector? Mm -hmm. And eventually, could it exacerbate a, a glut as well? So I think when we talk about supply and demand, that'll be a fascinating factor to look at. The other point I would make would be around the efforts for consolidation in the sector. I mean, don't forget it was only earlier this year that NVIDIA had to give up on its uh, moves to take over ARM. Uh, it uh, hit a bunch of regulatory roadblocks. But you could wonder whether it may be somewhat relieved given that it's now looking at a fairly uncertain environment from what were really heady days for the last 18 months or so, now going into very choppy waters that are determined by geopolitics. Let me pick up on your um, supply glut point. I think there's a lot of debate now whether that is where we're heading. We know that the chip makers have been working hard to ramp up production and um, several industries are still working with tremendous order backlogs, the auto sector front and center there. But given that we're heading into what many believe will be a period of slower economic growth given all of the headwinds out there, is this new capacity coming at exactly the wrong time? And are we going to end up in a supply glut situation? It seems as though at the moment the chip crunch is not over. That's what we're hearing from companies. But this is something that could be on the near-term horizon, that it, the balance is actually pretty fine between a chip crunch and supply glut, depending on how demand holds up in the months ahead. Yeah, we just don't know how far this story could go. And if you look at the share price reaction, NVIDIA, the stock has been down close to 50% this year. And you know we, we could be talking about chips that go into mobile phones if there seemed to be some sort of crossover, for instance, with the military. We don't know whether it stretches into autos. And don't forget, as we talk about the next phase of uh, vehicles. Chips are huge when it comes to electric vehicles and eventually autonomous vehicles. So we don't know whether this slows down the overall technology scene in China and beyond. Uh, I think uh, it's a huge one for the markets to watch at this point and it will go to the heart of uh, just how relations are between China and the United States, so the Beijing-Washington relationship ever uh, at the forefront. And we have seen a slight thawing in relations that seemed in recent weeks, but uh, let's just see whether that continues the ramifications. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.